allies, and anybody that wants to learn more about the LGBT plus community. My name is Zanardi, and I'm so glad all your beautiful faces are here. Hello, Alphabet Mafia. Welcome back to the Alphabet Mafia podcast. I'm so excited you all are here today. We have a great episode coming your way. We talk a lot about, well, it's a very down-to-earth, real episode. I enjoyed this conversation. It was a genuine connection and conversation that took place with this with this guest. Uh, his name is Sam. And we talk a lot about, um, you know, personal struggles that we all face, like anxiety, depression, relationship issues, uh, be, going through hard breakups, having those heartbroken moments and getting over it. He, we also talk about his personal coming out story and what it was like growing up in a very accepting liberal home, but in a small conservative town. So it was kind of like this, this uh, enclosed, he had the support group immediately, but when he stepped out of that home, you know, it, it, things are a little different. So Overall, I think this is a great episode. I really enjoy talking to, to the guest, Sam. And without further ado, I don't want to drag this intro on any, any bit longer. Guys, gays, gals, non-binary pals, give it up for our guest, Sam Machado. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. So why don't we just get started with an introduction? Why don't you uh, tell us about yourself? Sure. So I have been an LA resident for about five years now. I'm originally from Riverside County. I grew up in a very small town called Menifee. And I lived on a farm. My father had a farming business. And I lived in the same house pretty much until the time I went away to college. And I went to school at Humboldt State University in Humboldt County, where I got my bachelor's degree in journalism. I also minored in English literature and theater, and I graduated in 2013. And from there, I moved to the Bay Area, actually, for about a year, just to kind of get a little change of pace, you know, just to explore California a little bit more. Yeah. And then from there, I was actually writing for this up and coming Hollywood website. Mm. And at first I was just able to work at home. Mm. But then from there, I started getting invited to more like red carpet premieres and all these big exclusive Hollywood events. Oh, so wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. So I was just like, you know what? I think this is the time to go to LA because I really wanted to go to LA for most of my life anyway. Celebrities, mm -hmm. pop culture, like. I've been an avid fan literally as well, far back as I can remember. <laughs> this is the spot. Yeah. So, yeah. So I moved out here in 2015. And right now I am working as a copywriter for a modeling company, which is really cool. Okay. And I also write for Andrew Christian. Oh, yeah. Where I give... I always joke saying I'm kind of their Carrie Bradshaw in a way <laughs> because I give a lot of kind of funny sexual tips in a way, but I also really like to focus on the dating life and the love life and kind of how to make a connection, you know, especially in a place like LA. Yeah. And I also write about some like pop culture related topics, which, you know, I think is good, you know, given my background being right. involved in it. <laughs> and I also freelance report for the Irvine Weekly, where I talk about usually a lot of arts events and new theater events happening. And I've been doing that for a couple years now. Okay. And I'm, yeah, just really glad to be here, seeing where else it can take me. Yeah, that's so cool. 
And I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I should be dropping this on the pod, but someone just sent me a, a few Andrew Christian okay. uh, pieces of, of garments. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have some good products there. <laughs> right. Uh, so going from, well, Menifee is, is a pretty small town, right? Yes. Um, for people that aren't familiar with it. Cool. So it, it, you went from this small town um, and to Humboldt University. That's also fairly small, right? Yes. Okay. And so you didn't really have a big scene or big city scene until you moved to San Francisco. Yes. What 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 prompted you to move there? And what was your initial reaction like when you like were leaving these these yeah. smaller places? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because when I was accepted in the Humboldt, I also got accepted in the Northridge too. And a part of me kind of wanted to go to Northridge because that was closer to LA. Like when I knew I wanted to study journalism, I specifically wanted to focus on entertainment. I didn't really want to do like the small town life. So when I got into Humboldt, I was a little hesitant about it. Yeah. But my, I remember my parents and a lot of friends were saying, no, go. it's so different from Southern California. Just go try it out. You can always do the big city life after. Yeah. And I was like, that's probably a good idea because, you know, Northridge is a little bit close to where I was. So I was like, okay, I'll go ahead and give it a shot. So I did. And when I was in Humboldt, I remember when I was first there, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to stay. There was a part of me that was thinking, do I want to transfer somewhere else? Do I want to maybe start all over? I wasn't really sure. But I remember during summer breaks, I got a lot of really great internships in LA. There was actually one point where I was doing four internships simultaneously. Oh my God. I was that determined <laughs> to make it. So from there, I was like, you know what? I think it's going to be fine if I just stick it out in Humboldt because when it comes to journalism, it's not really about having this great education necessarily. It's more about your experience. Yeah. So I figured if I want to make it in Hollywood, I should be doing all these internships, whatever jobs, whatever gigs I can find. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I can stick it out in Humboldt and, you know, learn what I can there. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated, I actually did briefly move back home for just a few months to kind of figure out, okay, what am I going to do next? Right. So I remember the reason why I went to the Bay Area was because I do have family out there. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, if you want just a little change of pace, you can just kind of chill with us, you know, just run out of room for a while. So I was like, okay, because they were in Berkeley, okay. which is kind of like almost like the Humboldt area of the Bay Area. Yeah. So I went there and yeah, from there, I just started kind of exploring, making my way out. And I just loved it so much, like taking like a BART to get around, mm -hmm. you know, while train system. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really this like whole new change for me. And plus, you know, my best friend was living there. So I was just like, oh my God, I just, having that nice change from like the small areas to the big city life. I remember just so many times thinking, where have I been all my life? Mm -hmm. This is where I just needed to be. So I just, I had so many great memories in the Bay Area, despite not even living there for that long. I'm just really grateful I had that experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really cool to get out and do uh, do things. And so many people get trapped in their hometowns and definitely end up not leaving or or they don't leave for years and years mm -hmm. and they wish they could yeah could have done it earlier yeah i just wanted to go <laughs> <laughs> uh so growing up in a a small conservative town and being now an out and gay man 
Um, tell me about your experience as as a child going through that journey in in the process of discovering yourself, but also being in this in this place that was, you know, pretty uh, cut and dry. Yeah. So it's so interesting because when I hear a lot of stories about gay males when they were kids, a lot of them will say, yeah, I've always known since I was like five or I've known from a young age when I had a crush on this like male character. For me, I didn't really have that. I remember my first celebrity crush was actually on Christina Ricci when I saw Casper. And I remember like I loved her and also now and then and in the Adams family. And to be honest, a part of me still kind of has a thing for her. I mean, have you seen Black Snake Moan? I haven't. It's great. And you know, I was like, damn girl, I mean, she's still hot. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I remember that was happening. And I had crushes on girls like in my class and such, but I remember, I want to say I was about 12 or 13 when I started thinking maybe I like both. Mm. You know, I remember kind of feeling an attraction to men and to women. And then once I started getting a little bit older, like in high school, I was still kind of crushing on girls and kind of dating girls. But even though I did still feel an attraction to men, I never really had a crush on an actual specific guy. Right. I want to say I may have had my first, like my first like celebrity sexual awakening who was a guy was probably Matthew Fox on Lost. Okay. And that's when I was about 17. Yeah. But it was kind of brief. Like it was kind of there, but then kind of not. So, you know, for a while I did feel like maybe I was just bi or maybe I was just about the person. And there was a part of me that thought maybe I could just be gay, but I felt like I needed to actually crush on a guy specifically for that to happen mm -hmm. and that happened finally when i was actually 24. Oh wow! yeah when i was actually in my final stages of college and it was like someone i made friends with in a show and i remember at first i was not into him i actually thought he was kind of annoying in the <laughs> beginning but um once we got to know each other better that's when i was i actually felt like i actually really like you yeah and from there um, I would say, you know, of course, you know, that didn't work out, but as time kind of just went on in my mid twenties, I just felt kind of into guys from there. It wasn't really about girls anymore. Not that when I look back on girls, I wouldn't say like, oh, like I was lying to myself or I was being ingenuine in any way. Mm -hmm. It's just that it just didn't do it for me anymore. Yeah. You know, I was more comfortable with guys by yeah. this point. And um, I like to sort of compare my transition in a way from someone who ate meat to becoming a vegan. <laughs> um, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, if they used to eat meat, you know, they may have enjoyed it at the time, but then they become vegetarian and then they become vegan. And from there, as a vegan, it's kind of like, I'm happy I'm a vegan. This is what, where... I need to be, this is who I am now. Not that eating meat was bad in the past. It's just that I wouldn't do it anymore. If you were to offer meat now, I wouldn't take it, right. you know? And it was fine at the time, but now it's kind of like you find the calling that you're kind of more meant for. Yeah. And that's how I feel about dating men now. Like this is just, I found my calling now and this is where I feel happier, more like myself and... It doesn't mean yeah. you um, have 
you're grossed out by girls. Right. Or... Exactly. Like I don't have any regrets. Mm -hmm. You know, I dated a little bit in high school. I dated girls. Um, I had my first kiss with a girl when I was 15. And I remember, I will admit, it, it was a little bit weird, but not because of her. It was more just the situation. Yeah. Like, it was, I, I just remember, like, I, I kind of wanted to do it just to see what it would be like. And I remember I did not feel quite that into it. But then I was dating a little bit more after that. And then I started to really enjoy it. Right. And then in college, when I was dating, too, that's when I was like, you know, at first I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, am I into this? But after a few tries, I was like, oh, like, I actually really like this now. Yeah. And then, you know, I just continued that really until I had my first guy crash. Did you, did you ever think that, um, like, did you ever, obviously you're very, you were very young, but did you ever think you'd like marry a girl? Like, was that? Um, when I was young, yeah, actually, I thought that I would marry a girl probably, I would say probably until I was in my early to mid twenties, I would say, I remember, that realization. yeah, I, I remember when I was like 19 at my community college, they has like, you know, write a report about our future. And I remember specifically writing about when I would marry a girl oh, wow. and it didn't feel weird. It felt, it didn't feel like lying to yourself. No, wow. not really at all. And it's kind of interesting too, because when I think about, you know, during the time when I felt like maybe I was bi, as I was kind of figuring it out more, when I had my attraction to girls, it kind of felt more romantic mm. in a way. Mm -hmm. But my attraction to guys kind of felt more physical in a way, mm. you know, which is, you know, I think that's kind of how it can happen yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, with that being said, though, it's not that I was, you know, like physically with a girl, I was not grossed out in any way, shape or form. It felt more of like a romantic attraction. And from guys, though, it did feel kind of more like, well, maybe I could just like have fun or something. Like I felt like it would be the attraction with a guy was more like it's here today, gone tomorrow type thing. Um, but with a girl, it felt more like this could go on for a while. Yeah. But now, though, now that I've actually dated guys, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is just where I'd rather be. Do you think that this the idea that you were having in your head was um, had any was it was implanted by society at all that like be, that because of things that society might have told you or our religious texts? I don't know if that was part of your upbringing that kind of made you feel like romance can't be a thing with a guy, but physical attraction is obviously there. So I was not raised religiously at all, which is interesting because my mother was raised Jewish. My father was raised Catholic but they did not raise me or my sister religiously really at all. We still followed kind of my Jewish roots. Like we still like celebrate Passover and like Hanukkah and such. But as far as what society was saying, no, I don't really feel like it did come from society. And I feel like despite growing up in a conservative town, in my home life, it was very liberal. My parents were both very open-minded people as far back as I can remember, they were always supportive of the gay community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in my home, being gay was and is no big deal. Okay. Now, the town I grew up in was like completely the opposite. Like in my home, it was fine. But like when I would like go outside, it was like, oh, you know, gay is bad. Right. You see God hates facts. <laughs> right. Exactly. So but the thing is, I don't really feel like it was a social pressure. I think it was more of just a personal journey that I needed to go through to figure myself out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause 
I was never really the type that gave in really to social pressures too much because my parents always taught my sister and me to be very independent and to think for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And they were also very outspoken about this conservative town that we lived in. Yeah. Telling us that they were wrong to be thinking that way. (laughs) I honestly really have the best parents. I mean, they're not perfect by any means, but they're really the best. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's so important what you're bringing up about the fluidity of your journey, because I know there's a lot of people out there listening that are confused about their sexuality Mm -hmm. or they think that it has to go one way or the other. You know, they see. They, may, they might have friends or they might have people they look up to who are gay that never have been with a woman or think that it's super gross, but seeing an example of, of how fluid it can be yeah. and how it, it, it can it can kind of be both. Like yeah. you were fine with having women, you're not grossed out by them, you don't regret it, but you just found a more comfortable, happy place for you. Exactly. And I'm really glad it happened that way because... You know, I'm sure that there are others out there who do feel that kind of confusion of, do I like both? Well, I feel something for women. I feel this for men. Maybe, you know, you feel something, you know, for, you know, a masculine woman or a really feminine man. Like maybe you have like all these kind of like different feelings for different types of people. And you can do that. Like you don't have to feel just one or the other. You can feel this for a woman. You can feel this for a man. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it won't. You know, it's (laughs) your journey. It's your experience. Um, I mean, you know, sometimes you figure it out when you're 12. Sometimes you figure it out when you're 30. Sometimes when you're 60, sometimes it's never. I mean, it's really your own journey. It's you. It's whatever you feel like you need to go through to figure it out and you will figure it out on your own. That's actually something that a really great friend told me when I was confused. When I had had my first guy crush, I remember it wasn't too long before that when I was in a relationship with a girl and I was telling my friend like, yeah, I'm a little confused. I don't know if I like girls or guys or both. And I remember she said, you'll figure it out. You know, when you find the right person, you'll know. Yeah. So you figure it out when you do. And it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. I mean, whenever it happens, it does. Exactly. And there's no pressure. Don't put pressure on it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Just putting pressure on it just it makes you more anxious and it makes it seem like a bigger deal than it really is. Yeah. Like don't. And another thing I learned is like when you tell yourself I should do this or I should do that, like don't should on yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything like just let it come as it comes date someone you like or don't you know just focus on yourself it's your experience don't like try to don't try to have an experience just because someone else did this you know if someone else figured it out when they were 25 it doesn't mean well i'm 30 now so i should have it all together it's like no you don't it's they had their experience you'll have yours yes exactly so what has your experience with with dating been since since coming out as gay and, and, and moving into that, uh, what has your experience been with finding love and dating? <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's as a gay male in the year 2020, I mean, I almost want to be like, you know, who has had the best luck, you sure. know? <laughs> but I mean, it's been a journey for sure. I mean, once I graduated college and moved to the Bay Area, that's when I started looking into like, 
OkCupid and Tinder. And I started meeting guys online. I remember I had my first date with this guy I met on OkCupid. You know, I was in my mid-20s. He was in his mid-30s. And he was very extroverted, very was into, you know, making this connection. But for me, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, right. I don't know really how to start a conversation. I don't, it's like, oh, you're touching my shoulder. Like, should that be weird? Like, you know, <laughs> and I mean, it was, it was fine. And, you know, he was nice, but I just remember it was kind of awkward in the beginning because I didn't really know how to approach it just yet. But from there, you know, I gave it a few tries and then I just kind of figured out, you know, how to, you know, make the first move or, you know, how to have a good conversation on an app. Yeah. And from there, I mean, it's been, there have been, of course, you know, plenty of difficulties. I mean, dating in this time is a challenge. Sure. It's really a challenge, especially because we usually spend our times trying to meet someone on an app. Yeah. And that's very difficult. It's not impossible, but it is difficult because we're judging someone based on one picture. And, you know, that's totally not enough because, you know, when I mentioned I had my first guy crush in college, if I had met this guy on Tinder, I can easily guarantee that I would not, I can easily guarantee that I would not have had a second date with him. I probably would have just went out once. But the fact that I met him in person and once I got to know him, that was kind of a different story. Right. So, and also, you know, I've had a few more showmances since I do musical theater where, you know, you meet someone who's in a show with you and you become friends. And then from there, it's like, oh, you know, this could be something. Yeah. And, you know, doesn't necessarily <laughs> work out. But um, I imagine those are fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I've, I have they can have their moments for sure, you know, <laughs> especially because, you know, you see someone on stage, if they have this beautiful singing voice, it's like, ooh, like, you know, that's hot. Yeah, you see them right? with their makeup on and <laughs> right. on stage and performing. Right, <laughs> so it can actually be pretty fun. So, yeah, from there, though, I mean, of course, like, I've been ghosted, you know, plenty of times, and I've been in a few kind of legit relationships since then, you know, for the past, like, I'd say about, six, seven years, seven years since I came out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've really just about had as much luck as the next guy, really. Sure. I mean, it is what it is. And I feel like when it comes to dating apps, when you meet someone in person, I really do think it is important to try your best. And it's good to give the person a shot because you really never know what could happen. Yeah. With that being said, though, of course, you are not obligated to go out a second time. Right. You never are. And that's something I actually wrote for Andrew Christian that was called You're Allowed to Leave. Mm -hmm. And that is any situation, whether you just had a one night stand with someone, you can leave. If you went out three times, you can leave. If you've been in a committed relationship for 10 years, you can leave, yeah. you know? You're never obligated to stay with someone. You know, if you feel unhappy in a relationship, you are allowed to leave. But, you know, when you are getting to know someone, it's good to give them a shot because sometimes you really just never know. Right. So and it's good to be honest with them, too. It's good to be you know, honest. Where you're at. Yes. In, in your own 
dating experience, whether you feel like you're ready for something more or feel like you want to take things slower, mm -hmm. um, it, just building that communication bridge can make things a lot easier. Exactly. And it's really, you can say things that are a little bit, like you can say that you're confused. You can mm -hmm. say, I don't really know. You can say, I kind of like you, but I don't know if my feelings are really there. Maybe it's, we should just be friends for now. You know, you, if you feel like this is something you want to be friends with, you can say that I want to be friends. Yeah. That's okay. Like you don't have to just, you know, ghost them just because you're not feeling it. It's like, it's okay if you're not feeling it, but you can tell them I'm not feeling this, but thank you. It was nice meeting you. Yes, you exactly. Know? And if you feel like this person's like, oh, they're still cool. I'm not really attracted to you, but they're cool. You can tell them like, I'd be happy to be friends. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, yeah, I think that, the problem with the dating apps too is that um, it really makes dating hard and finding someone who you actually want to, who are you are attracted to and, and enjoy spending time with because you're always looking for the next person. So you might swipe right on someone and you might go on a date with them, but why would you come back for another date when you can pull up the app and find another person who's as attractive or more attractive Yeah. and then have another date with them. And then, um, so it just creates this whole, it's like this just, this elevator of always climbing to the next, the next thing, the next person. Yeah, it really is. And the thing too is, you know, if you match with someone, there's not really any mystery of, well, you know, it's not like, you know, back when you were in school where it's like, ooh, like I like this person. Do they notice me? Do they like me? When you match with someone, it's like, oh, you already know that they are already kind of interested in you. Right. So you don't really get that mystery of like, oh, like, do you like me? It's like, well, they already think I'm cute there's because they that, swiped right. Yeah, yeah, there's not that tension of, of like a, a friend group or in a show right. where you're maybe working together or you're hanging out together, but it's not anything yet. You haven't you haven't flirted yet. You haven't made that, that initial connection yet. Right. Um, and then it develops over time. Right. Yeah, just thinking off the top of my head, that's so much better. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And, and you know, when you match and when you talk and then when you meet in person, there's like already supposed to be this romantic vibe between you. Right. And, you know, I've gone on dates with guys where we'll have like a lot in common, you know, we'll, they, they'll be really good looking. But when I meet them, it's kind of like, if I had met you like in a show or if I had met you at work or if I met you, you know, just in the grocery store, I probably wouldn't really have a crush on you. Mm. You know, I might think you're really cool and you're really nice and I'd be happy to be your friend or even just like an acquaintance or something. But when you meet in that way, it's kind of like, oh, there's supposed to be this romantic tension already. Yeah. You know, there's like this expectation. Exactly. We're both coming from Tinder. We're meeting for dinner. Like we're going to do this. This, we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna talk about our future, like like if who we are, like mm -hmm. what we want to do in life, and then we're gonna bang or hang or hook up. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's like there's already supposed to be this direction that has to lead to something either romantic or sexual. You know. So what? So when you write for Andrew Christian, what exactly? I know you talked about like some dating tips or some like even potentially sex tips. Yes. Like that. <laughs> what has been like some of your most favorite work that you've put out through that? Oh, uh, that is a really good question. Um, I feel like really the ones that I appreciate the most are the ones that get into the more sensitive topics. Mm. One of the last ones I wrote was when you have a broken heart while you're in quarantine. Because, you know, there was a time before when you have 
you're heartbroken and you could, you know, go to a bar, you could go visit friends, you could go hook up with someone on Grindr, but we can't do that right now. Mm -hmm. So I tried to make it really about how do you mend a broken heart when your options are so limited? You know, and there are a few things I mentioned, which is one of them is to reach out, you know, text a friend and just say, I'm really upset. Can we set up a time to talk? Yeah. And talk on Zoom, talk on Skype, just talk on text. I mean, social distance. I mean, really do what you got to do. You yeah. know, go talk to someone. Also, reach out to a therapist. They are available and they are helpful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Therapy is so great. It's I, so I great. Therapy for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like even people, I guess most people, unless you're like that, that top one person that like doesn't have any problems with anxiety or depression or anything. Right. <laughs> you don't need to go to therapy, but for 99% of us, I think therapy is great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so great. It's so helpful. And it doesn't matter how big or small your problem is. Yeah. It's, you'll learn so much. Yeah. So I mentioned that. And another thing, how to help that out is to cry, you know, mm. cry, cry again, cry more. And if, and if you're at a point where it's like, well, I've been crying for the last three days. I don't want to keep crying. It's like, keep crying. If, if it's been three days, if it's been two weeks, whatever it is, if you need to cry again, just cry again. Mm. There's no such thing as too much crying, especially in a time right now. Yeah. yeah let it all out. Um, another thing is just really accepting that this is not going to go away anytime soon. And that's why I had when I had my first broken heart, you know, I was so upset. I was so miserable. I could not go a day without crying, you know, for a long time. And something that really helped me with that was to, I, I would tell myself, this is not going to go away tomorrow. This is probably not going to go away for a while. It is here. I recognize it. And I respect it. But don't be afraid of it, you know, respect it. It's sort of like um, sort of like what my father would say about black widows when I would be outside. He said, don't be afraid of them. Just be respectful. Of them. <laughs> so that's kind of like what that pain in your heart is, you know, yeah. let it be there and just accept that it's not going to go away anytime soon. It will go away. Just not right now. Recognize it. Recognize because it. Because trying to hide it or putting a mask over it is going to make it worse. Exactly. And don't look for the quick fix. You know, that was something I kind of learned in therapy, actually, where I said, well, I feel sad now. So what am I supposed to do next? And he was like, don't worry about focusing on what to do next. Just focus on being sad. Just be sad. Let, let yourself be sad. Let yourself yeah. be sad. Don't like, judge yourself for it. Yeah. I yeah. I Speaking of the quick fix, one thing I learned in therapy was it was you can't you can't smoke, suck, shop or or uh or drink anything away <laughs> yes you can't do any you, there's no therapy there's no retail therapy or sex therapy or whatever to, to get rid of any pain yes and you know another thing that i did point out was was you know if you want to drink like if you want to like talk with someone on zoom and you know yeah, get yourself that's wasted fast. that's fine but don't as long as you're not doing it where you're like damaging your health or your it's whole life waking up every day and being, oh fuck this broken heart Exactly. A bottle of Tito's. Exactly. <laughs> like, don't force it that way. Like, you can do it for fun, but don't yeah. just like hurt yourself with it. Right. Um, but um, I'm sure if anyone wants to know any, uh, you know, more like funny tips I give on Andrew Christian. Um, so I remember. Um, let's see. I remember one I had that was really nice was um, ways to be affectionate 
that aren't necessarily sexual. And of course I pointed out cuddling, hand holding, showering, uh, a massage and well, I mean, (laughs) if you're, I mean, it can be, but sometimes you can just shower and just leave it at that. (laughs) And, um, and then of course talking and listening. And, um, I've also written some stuff. Um, I remember this is like so funny to bring up because this is something I normally don't talk about my day to day life, but just for the sake of this, I will say, um, when I first started writing for them, when they asked for some ideas I had, I was all, how, how do you feel about this? The five strangest facts about rim jobs. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Go for it. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do some research. <laughs> and then, you know, you know, I found some stuff. I mean, where did, it, it was where, a while ago. So <laughs> where do you, where do you find this? Like, is, is there blogs on the internet that talk about it? Or? Yeah, there's actually um, a lot of scientific information out there on like what, can make not just that but like anything really like what can make it more pleasurable and what to do and what not to do you know like yeah. how to really like use yourself orally and how to like kind of like shape your mouth in the way and that's something that I learned a lot too because I sing mm-hmm. so that's a big thing on like how to like really like you know massaging your face and like making sure you do this like certain pucker when you pronounce certain words well, that can work in a sexual scenario too. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, what? What's now? Now you're gonna get me to go on the blog. Yeah. <laughs> what's the blog? It's Andrew Christian blog. Yeah, just andrewandrewchristian.com/blog. Andrew okay. Um, and I should also mention I also interview porn stars on there as well. Oh, so wow. they also give some good insight. Uh, the last one was on, it was a uh, Matthew Mason, and. He gave some, you know, interesting insight, of course, about his experience in the industry. Um, a lot of them have. Um, a lot of them, you know, it's the porn world. Of course, they have, like, great things to say. Yeah. Um, but I think what's, like, really great about it is how a lot of these guys I talk to, a lot of them say, you know, porn was always just kind of a kind of a small step in the road. And then they had other plans after that. Like, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily do it forever. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, I'm sure, but yeah, they have given a lot of good insight about, you know, just what's like in the industry, you know, how to have a fun relationship, whether it's just like someone you're dating or someone you're just hooking up with. I mean, what's their yeah, most like, common, um, what's their most common reason or, or, uh, like why do they get into it? So a lot of times they get into it is for money because, yeah. you know, it as pays. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's mainly for that. And a lot of them have said, well, you know, they've been like a sexual person really their whole life. They've never been embarrassed about it. They've always been very comfortable in their own skin talking about it. You know, a lot of them have said, like, I remember when, you know, when I was like eight or nine, you know, going through like, you know, my parents' porno magazines, you know, and from there it just kind of stuck with them. So it was never really like a shock or it never felt very foreign. Right. You know, and that's something that I can kind of understand because you know, growing up in a liberal family, you know, my parents were kind of like that too, in a way where sex was never really a big deal. It was never anything to like be ashamed of or anything, you know, as long as you're safe, that's really all that matters. And so they usually get into it just because they really enjoy it. And it's just kind of like a way to really express themselves. It's almost like 
the way I feel about doing theater in a way. Like I just really love, you know, kind of getting that kind of attention and being very artistic. Yeah, so. yeah. No, totally. I understand that. And um, I mean, if anyone's listening to the pod that doesn't know, I, I just dropped in OnlyFans. And I mean, yes, it is because I need supplemental income, you know, but but also it is like uh, it is its own art form, I guess. Yeah. Because at least the way I'm doing it is uh, I'm not just like going on there just jerking off. Like I'm taking artistic styled photos that show your body and reveal it, but in yeah. a in a um, tasteful way. Yeah. And that's what is so interesting about just the porn world in general is that, you know, they. So, you know, society really tries to make it like it's sleazy, but it's really not like it's very professional. You know, it still consists of like paperwork and there's a lot of like legal situations happening. And it's not something where you just go in and bang someone for 20 minutes. I mean, <laughs> you're in there for hours, you know, yeah. doing all these different angles and working in all these different ways to make it look very classy and to make it look enjoyable just because they're having sex doesn't mean that it's, it, they're trying to make it like over the top, like ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on like consuming porn? Like, is there, I mean, obviously I, I mean, I do it. I'm sure you do. I, I think most people <laughs> like what, like, do you think that there's a point to where it can be harmful to an individual um, when it comes to their own sex life? I think that really depends on, um, you know, because one thing I actually mentioned in that broken heart column when you're in quarantine was something I suggested is to jerk off. Yeah. Jerk off a lot. Jerk. <laughs> do as much as you can, then do it again. Yeah. I mean, you know, because the thing about having that release is that it releases all that tension out of your body. You know, if you're feeling really anxious or nervous or sad, that kind of all dissipates and you feel much more relaxed and you feel comfortable and you feel a lot more confident about yourself in a lot of ways yeah. and the thing about you know watching porn is that it's a fantasy you know it's it's like if you watch like a scary movie you know and there's like a killer killing people it's like just because you're watching that doesn't mean you want to do it it just <laughs> means that you're just enjoying it for what it is yeah and you get a thrill for the time that it's on and, yeah. yeah and you know so as far as you know if porn can ever be harmful i think that just really depends because as long as it's not getting in the way of your daily life, like it's not interfering with your job or spending time with friends or spending time with family, or that's literally like what you're doing nonstop for days on end, or if it's like physically hurting your body in some way. Yeah, like it's starting to your right, exactly. Then, I mean, in that case, yeah, that's something, you know, you might want to, you know, reconsider or talk to someone about. And if and if you ever feel like, well, am I, you know, the way I watch it, is it harmful in some way? If you're not sure, I mean, you can always reach out and ask, you know, yeah. be like, is this strange? Is this not strange? A lot of times it may not be, you know, a lot of times it might just be very normal, you know, because I remember, um, you know, that guy I remember I was crushing on back in college. I remember he was very religious and closeted thinking that like he like banned like all porn sites thinking that he had like this like problem oh wow yeah and <laughs> so he, he like blocked them from yeah his like computer. from his computer so he would never do it because he claimed that he was like a porn addict or something <laughs> by simply watching it and 
And I remember, you know, of course, you know, me growing up from this like liberal life, you know, where like sex was very normal and being gay was very normal. I remember not understanding for the life of me, why would you block a porn site? Like, why would you think this is weird? Like, I just didn't get it. But, you know, that's part of his journey. That's yeah. something that he had to learn and grow and accept. So, um, so in, you know, his world, he thought, you know, this was the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, as long as you're just not doing anything that's going to harm your daily life or harm yourself or someone else in some way, then go for I, it. Yeah. I think it's important to, especially the, having that release, having that, um, especially in a time of quarantine when we're not supposed to be seeing each other. And if you don't have a significant other that you're quarantined with, you're probably not having sex or getting any release. So, mm-hmm. you know, porn is important in the sense that um, when the time comes, like that you are able to have that fantasy, explore that, that side of yourself yeah. and, and even in then and get off ultimately. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially while we're in quarantine, cause we don't really have much else going on right now. And we gotta, you know, release ourselves somehow yeah yeah for sure and yeah as i as you said as long as it's not eight hours a day you're not yes yeah as long as you know it's like if it's starting to like actually hurt doing this it's like okay give yourself a break and if like you know you have like you're supposed to like clock into work at some point and you're like oh i can't do it today because i'm sick and really that's just what you're doing it's like okay this might be a problem but the the problem is people do get addicted and then people on like the religious right or whatever mm-hmm. um blame that but in and it's once again an individual accountability thing it's like the same like we have plenty of we have cigarettes we have trail alcohol like there's so many things that like yes it can harm individuals mm-hmm. um if, if it's consumed too much but like it's an individual responsibility it's not <laughs> it really is and it's sometimes it can be really hard to know do i have a problem or not you know yeah oh yeah And, you know, for something like, especially when it's like, you know, drinking alcohol, because, you know, as long as you're doing it, as long as, you know, you're at least 21 and, you know, you're not doing it too much, then it's fine. And, you know, there are times where it's like, I want to go get wasted with friends and that's Mm -hmm. perfectly fine. But sometimes it's hard to know when to draw that line of, am I just having fun or is this a problem? So a lot of times you can tell it's a problem if others start to take notice in it Mm. and if it's actually doing harm to yourself Mm. that's usually when you can kind of tell if when you're harmed yourself specifically in that there might be physical harm to your body yeah you're you're not eating now because you're addicted to a substance yeah or like not performing work correctly if you're Mm -hmm. running late all the time because you're hungover Mm -hmm. yeah that's those are instances i I've had a fairly okay relationship with substances. Like mm-hmm. I've had, I went to college at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi, which is like uh, a, a party school in the South. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, I've had my fair share of, of times like that, but I think my, my biggest substance that I am conscious of struggling with is, is weed because it is so easy to like, feel like it's nothing right right because it's just weed it's like, right oh it's just weed yeah you can do this i can still talk to people i can still perform my task yeah but, but that's probably like my biggest thing that like i i have become conscious with and the way that i have like made sure that because i've gone down rabbit holes where i was depressed for like three months and i was smoking weed every day mm-hmm. like not performing my job 
the way that I recognize that though is realizing that like marijuana can be like a tool and you can be very harmful with it. You can right. wake and bake and not and not do your jobs and your responsibilities, or you can use it to unwind. Or you, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, you can consume it, or you can consume it and have a great conversation with friends, or hang out with people, listen to great music. And so it's just recognizing the times when it's like appropriate and the times where it can be useful to your life. I don't know. That's that's like my <laughs> biggest thing that I've had a problem with. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as long as, you know, you're taking it into consideration, I yeah. think that's what's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not letting it get out of hand. Exactly. Uh, too many, too many times, too many people, too many people use substances that ends up ruining their life. And mm -hmm. it's not something that like, it's, it's something that, yes, we, I feel so bad for, and I feel bad for those people that, that allow that to consume themselves, but it comes from a place of brokenness that like, they're filling that void with something else. Yeah. They're using alcohol or weed or your sex addiction to fill a void that is needed to be filled with substances other than than that. Right. That actually reminds me. Um. Do you watch Hey Arnold? I used to. I mean. Okay. Do you, Do you remember Chocolate Boy? No. Okay. <laughs> well, I just remember he was the kid who was he was known as Chocolate Boy because he always ate chocolate. And there was finally an episode about where he came from and why he was eating so much chocolate. He goes to Arnold for help saying, I want to give up chocolate. And he's all, but that's what you do. You're a chocolate boy. And then you end up finding out the reason why he was addicted to chocolate was because he, when he was really little, his nanny gave him chocolate. And then one day his nanny left and he was so heartbroken that he chocolate was kind of like the last thing he had to remind him of her. And Arnold's like, so the reason why you eat chocolate is because you miss your nanny. And he was like, yes, I miss my nanny. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, that's like so deep. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing. When you, you get involved with these addictions, it's a lot of times it can be because you're just filling some hurt in you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And as you were talking about earlier, um, a good way to, uh, to correct that hurt or to fill that hurt without an inappropriate substance or, or going off the deep end using mm -hmm. something is to recognize that it's okay yeah. to have that hurt. Yes. That this chocolate boy can recognize it's okay for his aunt to be gone and remember her through, you know, other means. Exactly. Yeah. It's recognized. I think the key, like one of the biggest things in life is just self-awareness. Yes. About so many different things about everything, but just being self-aware about yourself and your feelings and your mm -hmm emotions yeah and being present in that yes and it's okay to feel more than one thing like you can say i feel sad about this but feel good about this it's sort of like you know if you're going through a breakup like you can miss your ex but still be angry about the hurt things they, the hurtful things they said to you right you know and you can also still feel hopeful about the future and also going back to when i said you're allowed to leave your partner like you can feel sorry for them. You can sympathize for them while also feeling grateful to yourself. You don't have to put this on like a good guy, bad guy scale here where it's like, oh, I'm such a bad person because I'm leaving. I need to forgive myself. It's like you can say I am grateful that I'm doing what's best for me, but I also really do hope that they'll find happiness again. You can yeah. feel more than one thing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, there's no binary to, yeah. to, to life or life's emotions. Yeah.
So recognizing and being conscious of your emotions is like the first step to to healing yourself yes. in any capacity. What what in your experience or, or or advice do you have to people who want to then go and continue to that process of healing once they've recognized it? Yeah, so it's really important that you do recognize that the pain is there. Don't try to shun it out. It's there and it's okay that's there. I always felt like a broken heart was kind of like having a broken leg in a way, because when you break your leg, you can't just like give it a few days and be like, oh, I'm going to just go run a mile now. It's like, no, like your leg is broken and it needs time to actually like chill for a while, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing about having a broken heart is that they always say, you know, it's really good to spend time with your loved ones, spend time with friends, with family. And that is very helpful. It is very good to do those things. But just know that it will help you, but your heart will still be broken for a while. You know, if you break your leg, you can spend all the time with friends and family all you want. Your leg is still going to be broken, you know? Yeah. So it's really about time. It's about patience. It's about really just taking care of it and take small steps and really do whatever you need to do. Like, because it's such a cycle. You'll have some days where you're going to wake up and feel, I feel so strong today. Another day you're going to wake up and feel like shit all over again. Right. So, and don't just, if you're going to feel sad one day, don't be like, well, I was feeling so strong yesterday. What happened? It's like, it's just part of the cycle. You know, it's yeah. just part of the process. Like you'll have good days. You'll have bad days. That's okay. And when you have, and just remember when you have a bad day, that good day will come again and it will get to a point where it'll just be good from here and you, and you'll just be totally healed. So it's important to really focus on that. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you would feel sad one day, there might be a friend that'd be like, oh, you know what? We're going to go out and party. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you feel like you want to go out and party, if you think it's going to help, you can do it. But don't force yourself to do it. Right. You know, if you want to just stay in behind closed doors, shut off the lights and just cry, go for it. Yeah. There's nothing shameful about doing that. And the thing about having a broken heart, too, is a lot of times it's not necessarily about crying. A lot of times it's about just being confused and being so, like, just lost in your thoughts where you're kind of not really doing anything. And that's a thing, too, because sometimes if you're just alone by yourself and you don't really know what to do, sometimes you just have to feel that. You know, just go let the discomfort stay as long as it needs to stay. and just let it be for what it is. Yeah. You know, don't focus so hard on the next step. Just let that feeling of confusion and of that stinginess in your heart, it's okay. You know, just let it stay. Don't try to force that away either, you know? Put on some Frank Ocean. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Grab an ice cream. <laughs> yeah, grab an ice cream. And, you know, that's the thing too is that I feel like a lot of times there's that social pressure where it's like, oh, if you stay in and feel sad and open the bucket of ice cream, no, that's shameful. It's like, no, it's not. Like, yeah. you feel sad, like, open the ice cream, you know? I would say as long as it's not habit. Right. Habitual. To, right. Like, as long as you're not going to damage your health yeah. in any way, then it's fine to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, don't make it too much of a habit. But if you need to take a night or two in to just do what you got to do, then yeah. by all means, go for it. Yeah, I've had many of those nights. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think similar to how, like, you have a broken leg, mm -hmm. um, you're not going to go freaking uh, run a mile um, too soon, or, like, you wouldn't want to run a mile or start exercising too soon. Right. Don't try to 
get back into the dating game too soon. You can hook yeah. up, you can make that clear. Like you can, I've, I've been through ho stages post heartbreaks, mm-hmm. you know, just cause I needed that release, but those were clear, not as, as, as hookups. So like, don't try people with broken hearts, please stop dating. Yes. <laughs> yes. Please put up, stop putting on that mask that like you're going to, yes. So just like with a broken leg, you're not going to go and get into a race or go to the gym and do squats. Right. Don't, don't force yourself into that pool again of trying to find love right. um, before you, that's been healed or before you at least are fully ready to come out there. And, right. Yeah. And, you know, it's just dating, you know, in the gay community is very hard because mainly because the population is just very, very low. Mm-hmm. So there's that oh, yeah. too. So I know that most of us spend most of our time being single. Yeah. And, you know, that's fine. And just know, Love does exist. That's the thing. Because for, I had this conversation with my best friend recently, actually, where I was asking, like, is love even, like, a real thing? Like, I don't even know. And she was saying that, like, no, like, don't blame love for the issues that happen. Because we have so much social pressure that we're supposed to find love by the time we're, you know, 25 or Mm -hmm. when we're 30. And if we're 30 and we don't have it, it's like, oh, like there's something wrong with you or there's something weird about it. And it's almost like in a way like college in a way, you know, we're supposed to figure out what we want to do with our lives when we're 18 years old, you know? And then what happens is, you know, by the time we finish, it's either hard to find a job in that field or, or we like find a passion somewhere else by the time we're 40, you know, we realize we want to do something else, but that doesn't mean we blame college for it. It's just that, we just have this pressure that you're supposed to have all the answers when you're a certain age, you know, it's like, ridiculous. It is. Most 18 year olds haven't even had the experiences of life that, that, that showed them other, other ways, yeah. showed them other hobbies or interests. In another thing I learned, especially now that I'm older now is that when you're 18 years old, you're still a baby. Yeah. I mean, you really have so much more to learn. And I mean, in a, in a good way, it's yeah, like, right. you're still so young. There's still so much, more for you to learn and you are gonna make so many mistakes you know especially in your 20s you are not gonna have the answers you know i when i dated in my early 20s especially you know i went in some toxic situations you know particularly when i was dating girls you know it was a very not healthy relationship to be in it wasn't stable for either of us um and then i move forward and you know i wish them well yeah Um, But that's the thing, you know, when you're in your early 20s, you are going to make so many mistakes and you're not really knowing what you're doing. And it's it's a journey. You figure it out and it's going to get to a point where, you know, if you really feel like you want change to happen, it can happen. And there's always room to change. There's always room to be better. There's always room to forgive others and to forgive yourself. Mm And yeah, and that's the thing is that doesn't mean that love doesn't exist or that we should like be blaming love for, you know, the issues that we face. It's just that don't pressure yourself to find it by the time you're 25, you know, yeah. like you can find love literally any time. It's like there's no rule that it's not written anywhere that says like, oh, if you don't find love by this point, then you're done. Right. <laughs> I think every gay man has has at least joked about the um the the 30 year 
by, by age 30 marriage pack with like one of their girlfriends. Like, yes. I have probably like 20 marriage packs of yes. different girls who are like, right. oh, if we're both single at 30, we're going to get married. I know. It's like, why? It's like, yeah. it's like 30. It's like, you're still kind of a kid. Baby. Like, yeah. I'm 25. Just turned 25 yesterday. Oh, wow. happy birthday! <laughs> Thank you. And um, I'm just thinking about this like now. I didn't think about it, but like I haven't had a real relationship. Like I, like I've had things. I've had summer flings. I've had heartbreaks, but I've never had like a full on like boyfriend boyfriend mm-hmm. type thing. And that doesn't bother me. Yeah. But um, but I think it it. Because I'm, I've, I've gotten to that place. I think that you're talking about where it's, uh, where you can be comfortable with yourself and mm-hmm. it's okay recognizing these things. But it is still like weird or annoying when like family members like put that pressure on or like yeah. ask. And it's like, well, no, like I'm not judging myself for it. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you know, like our parents and our grandparents. I know a lot of them came from a time when it was supposed to be that way, where you're supposed to get married by the time you were 30. Yeah. And I feel like there's just more awareness about that now where it's like, no, you don't need to have that by the time you're 30. That's okay. And also, especially our grandparents, they came from a time when, you know, divorce was very taboo. Yeah. You know, so it's like a lot of them were stuck in this like really unhealthy, toxic relationship. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, well, why aren't you doing that? It's like, because I want to be in a toxic relationship. (laughs) Right. And like, I'm figuring myself out. Right. Still, like, I'm like, I... I've made, I've moved to, I've lived in three different places in the past year and a half. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, and I'm doing different, what I'm doing now and I have been doing for the past like five months or so is nothing that I studied in college. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that I did a year ago. Yeah. Like, so like how, like, like as you're figuring yourself out and going, like having a partner, I mean, some people do that. Some people meet when they're young and like go through life together and that's yeah. great. But then for others, people meet and they get married and, and they become a different, like at 40, they're different than they were at 20. Yeah. And that causes problems. And that causes, that's, you know, one of the reasons I think divorce rate is so high. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the situation for everyone. I right. Think some people have done great things together when they met and, and figured it out together. But for me personally, like, I, I want to, I want to work on myself and my career and like what I want to do and who I am. And then, you know, if, if love, presents itself in through that journey then then that's great yeah no pressure yeah and that's the thing like there's always always room to find love there's always room it doesn't matter where you go it doesn't matter who you are like there's always room to find it yeah that's that's really beautiful yeah (laughs) and encouraging too because it's true yeah it is and i know it's it's hard it's really hard and I know this is something that gets said a lot. They always say, well, you have to love yourself for the really good qualities about yourself. You know, the things that make you a catch, the things that make you desirable, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something I've learned about myself. There are so many things I love about myself. I love that I do theater. I love that I'm educated. I love that I went after what I wanted, you know, I because growing up, I was a very shy, sensitive child. You know, you could like say anything and that could break me. And I in I was always felt very, you know, destined for the big city. And, you know, being from such a small town, being such a shy person, you know, I it's almost like I wouldn't like really see that, you know, like yeah. like my town like wouldn't really see something like that happening for me. But like I look back on, you know, the child I was and I just tell him like, you know, you're going to go so far and <laughs> you're going to be so proud of yourself. 
So, and that's the thing, like I'm very proud of who I became at this point. I'm proud of the things I love. I'm proud of, you know, for the hobbies I have, for all my personal interests. Like I feel like I have a nice relationship with myself and I feel like I'm a good catch. And, you know, I'm hoping that someone else will see it too. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's I mean, it's so important to have that that awareness again yeah. of yourself and being proud of yourself because there's no there's no guide to life. Yeah. No one has no one no one has <laughs> it figured out. No one has a guidebook yeah. of gotta do this, gotta do this, gotta do this. So when you can recognize the things that you are proud of and things that you that do make you happy and the things that you have accomplished, that's amazing because nobody yeah. told you how to do it or that you should do it. Like yeah. you're able to do it. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> your journey and you figure it out and you gotta love it. Yeah. yeah. Do you how do you experience or how would do you experience or how would you handle like loneliness in times of loneliness? Yeah. So I've had plenty of times of loneliness mm -hmm. and, you know, I still do. Yeah. And one of the things to do is another sign is accepting that you feel lonely. Mm -hmm. Of course, don't shut that out. But the way to kind of help with that is really just find the things that really make you happy. You know, don't, don't just, you know, just sit there in the dark room unless if you really need to. Yeah. If you need to do that, then go for it. But there are other ways, you, other things that you can do to help yourself, you know, when you're really feeling that sense in your gut. And a lot of times it's good to just get out and clear your head. Mm -hmm. We are in a quarantine right now, but I'm sure most of us can still at least like go for a walk. Right. You know, go for a walk, go for a jog get those endorphins in you, work out. Remember what Elle Woods said, and exercise gives you endorphins, endorphins make you happy. Yeah. Elle is a smart woman, everyone listen to her. <laughs> so really get those endorphins in you. Um, another thing is journal. And another thing I learned about that is don't necessarily like type it away, it's better when you actually write it out. Write what you're feeling, write whatever you want. It's your journal. Like literally write something like ridiculous There's if you need to. Something about the, the pen in your hand and yes. the paper that you're holding. Yes, because you're really making that connection and there's actually, you get a better sense of release yeah. when you're actually like doing it physically <laughs> that way. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's that. And you know, for me, you know, I have this, you know, I, I you know because I've always been interested in pop culture and everything. So I have this beautiful TV in my room that I'm so thankful I have. I always have those movie nights into myself, you know, and I have pizza and or some popcorn or something, and I'll just play on my phone. And the thing is, the loneliness will still be there. You know, you still feel it, even though you have this background noise. But the background background noise will just like you 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 might find just that one little spark of feeling good about yourself. And sometimes that's enough. Mm. And it's always really good to do something good for others too, because so many of us are really lonely, right? Especially right now. Reach out to someone and simply just say, thinking of you, hope you're having a good day. Yeah. That can mean the whole world to someone. Yeah. So just focus on those little things that make you happy, mm. you know? And if you, and even if that's too much for you, then focus on just being sad, you know, mm -hmm. just be sad, cry or just sit there, you know, be your own good friend right now. Because sometimes, you know, if I have a friend with me and 
if one of us is too sad to really talk or to cry or something, sometimes we'll just sit. Right. You know, sometimes just for hours, and you know, comforting. It is, you know, it just helps to just have someone right there. Even if you're not really like connecting right now, it's just knowing that there's someone else there. Now, if you can't have someone else there, then you be your own friend in that time, you know, just mm -hmm. sit, you know, or just if you text someone, you know, just know that there's that other person that is there. They may not be physically there, but they are there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, put on a movie that you enjoy. And yes. Like, order pizza. And yeah. Be your night you know, make it about you. <laughs> yes. You know, oh my goodness. Like put on a good movie. Like I have so many, I'm, I've been a huge movie buff like my whole life. Like I have so many that will always make me just feel so much better. Like what, what are some of your favorites? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, so my favorite overall movie is probably La La Land. Okay. Yeah. Just because um, I know that so many people either love it or they hate it. I feel like the people who hated it it's like, okay, I know that they're not the greatest singers, they're not the greatest dancers, but that was the point of the movie. They're supposed to be the average Joe Schmo trying to make it. Yeah. So there's that. But um, usually one of my feel-good movies that I have just for background noise is Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. I'll put that on just when I fall asleep sometimes. Um, one movie I really suggest if anyone has not seen it, and I even put this in Andrew Christian, is this movie called The Object of My Affection. Have you seen it? It's with Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd. And I put that on randomly in the quarantine just out of boredom. And I was surprised by how good it was because it's about how Paul Rudd is a gay guy getting out of a relationship and he decides to move in with Jennifer Aniston. And then she ends up developing feelings for him, oh, wow. even though he's gay. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, they have this kind of like friendship. It's kind of like there's this romantic vibe. But the thing what's really great is he ends up meeting another guy later in the movie who's a way better match for him. Mm. So it, there's that sense of hope. I remember I was like, right. oh, like he met someone else who's so much better. Yeah. And not only that, but Jennifer Aniston, she plays a social worker who works in a group home and she gives really good advice about sexual morals. Like I remember there was this part where there was this teen girl saying how she wants to hook up with this guy, but she's not really sure because she's not really sure she has like the feelings for him. And she's like, well, I don't know if he's like treating me that well. Um, I could be saying that a little bit wrong. It's been a little while, but um, I just remember that Jennifer Aniston tells her when it comes to sex, you know, I enjoy it, but I wouldn't want to do it with someone who just doesn't see it the way I do. So maybe instead of asking yourself, do you love him? Ask yourself, do you like him? And I was like, oh, that's really great. And I feel like that's something we should all like take into consideration if we're going to hook up with someone, especially if it's going to be a continuous thing. Like, not do you, like, are you in love with them or do you have feelings, but do you actually like them? Do you enjoy their company? Right. That's an important thing to know. Yeah, that's definitely the most important yeah. thing is just all other, like, like clothes on, like whatever scenario outside, like, do you like yeah. this person? Like, can you vibe with them? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and that's the thing I have made some mistakes going into because I think that's one of the reasons why I've had some issues when it came to dating because, and this took me a while to realize it, but typically when I try to date someone, they are usually the one to end it first. Mm -hmm. And I never understood why until I finally figured it out. The reason why they end it first is because there are red flags going on with them and I noticed them, but I chose to ignore them. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you choose to ignore the red flag. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that I did for a long time because 
I was like, well, maybe we just need to get to know each other a little bit better. Mm. Or maybe like they're just nervous or, you know, cause it's like, you know, like we don't have great communication or we're not into the same things. I'm like, well, maybe if we just got to know each other, it'll be better. Mm. But then they end up telling me like, yeah, we're not really compatible. It's that, it's that it's you, you've taken that idea. You've done that yes. thing that we all do. That's so common is where we, we have this idea of this perfect version of them. Yes. It isn't them. Exactly. And that's the thing I finally end up realizing, which is I fantasize too much about what this could be versus what this actually is. Mm -hmm. And that is such an important thing that I learned. And it's so I'm so glad I have that now moving forward from here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really great. What what's that name of the movie again? The Object of My Affection. I can't believe I haven't heard of it because I love Paul Rudd. I love Jennifer. Yeah, me too. Two of my favorites. Yeah, it's a it's a 90s flick. Yeah. And it wasn't really it's pretty underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Is it on like Netflix? I think um, I want to say it was on Amazon Prime. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Good choice. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So so growing up in Menifee, you know, it's a very conservative town. It's a small town. It's in California, but it's conservative, and you had a liberal family, so you're kind of like a fish out of water in yeah, like it was a little (laughs) different. What was it like for you coming out though? Obviously, your family's supportive, but being in this environment that is, you know, different. Yeah, you know, it was pretty crazy because you know I remember that. When I was about nine, this is one of my earliest memories. I remember I was at school and a kid said, if you're gay, you don't go to heaven. And I remember, you know, you know, obviously I wasn't in a religious background or anything. So I remember not really thinking that much about it. But when I got home, I mentioned that to my dad, that a kid said that. And he looked immediately horrified and he was all, who the hell said that? <laughs> you know, just really like very, he's always been very blunt and straightforward. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like this kid at school. And he like went on and gave me this like whole spiel about how that is absolutely not true. And no one should ever think that way. <laughs> and then one thing that, another thing I really remember is, you know, going back to my parents is when I was 10, I was a big fan of Dawson's Creek. <laughs> okay. Take a moment to make fun of that. Cause I know the show is <laughs> kind of ridiculous, but, but the thing is the show was known for having the first primetime gay kiss on television. And it was in this very romantic setting when it was two guys. And when I would watch the show, my mom would usually be on the couch just doing like a crossword puzzle, kind of like half watching, you know? Right. And when that part happened, I remember what my mom said. I remember she said, a gay kiss on TV. Bravo, Dawson's Creek. Oh my gosh, yeah. yes. <laughs> and I remember, you know, her saying that it, it felt normal to me, you know, it didn't feel like, oh, mom, you support that? It was like, no, like, I just kind of always knew. And, you know, for me being a kid watching that, seeing a gay kiss was a good... It, it wasn't weird to you at all? Not really, no. It, to me, it was just like anything, really. I mean, that's fascinating and amazing. And yeah. also, it makes sense yeah. to me why that would happen, because I feel like a lot of like it, it, it's it's upbringing it's yeah. people being taught in religious environments or conservative environments it's, it's it's people it's parents telling younger kids oh that's wrong that's gay we can't talk about that we can't mention it but for you who's this kid who has no history right. of it or knowledge of it you know no one's told you anything about it good or bad I yeah assume. it's like oh 
Okay. Yeah. And you know, and I'm really glad that was like brought on me at such a young age because growing up, it was never a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, of course, in my parents' time, you know, seeing a gay kiss on television was a big deal. That was probably a very honorable moment to see that when you're 40, you know? Right. So yeah, I remember that was another big early memory for me. But then when I was in school, especially in high school, I remember, um, you know, it was obviously very conservative. Everyone was like, doing the stupid like gay bullying you know saying like fag a lot and such yeah. or that's so gay um and but during this time it's like i wasn't really sure what i was exactly so and i remember being like annoyed by it but i was still a very shy person mm. and then i remember when i was in because i was in the drama club for most of high school and you know and that's where a lot of gay guys are but i remember the people in drama, the way they treated gay people, they kind of treated them as if they were like puppies or like teddy bears, you know, kind of like, oh, you're gay. It's so cute or it's mm. so funny or it's so entertaining or yeah. And I remember that always bothered me. It made me feel so uncomfortable. And, you know, anytime there was like a gay person there, it was like they were this like big celebrity or something. And it's like, don't, you know, I, I hope they're not like that anymore. But, um, that's the thing. It's like, you know, when someone's gay, it's like, they're just a person. It's like, they're, that, that's not like, it's not this huge, it doesn't have to be this like massive thing to entertain you, you right, know, we're not, not here to entertain you. Right. <laughs> and we, we don't say it to entertain you, yeah. you know, like you leave it at that and then you go on. And now as far as me, you know, figuring it out for myself, you know, when I had my first crush, I remember it didn't work out and, you know, that left me with my broken heart and everything. But once I started dating guys after that, as far as, you know, when I, you know, told, you know, friends and my parents, the way I told them was kind of interesting because despite growing up in a liberal family, I didn't tell them until I was in my mid to late 20s. And it had nothing to do with their reaction. It was more just a personal thing. I just wasn't really comfortable talking about my dating life in general, right. whether it was a guy or girl, Yeah, you know, and which, I, you know, I know it happens, you know, it's, it was just a thing for me. And what was also interesting was that my best friend, when she had a girlfriend, she told my parents, but never told her own. Mm. And I remember when she told my mom, she had her girlfriend there at the time. And she said, yeah, we're dating. And my mom was just like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> and then that was pretty much it. Yeah. So that's how I always knew, like, it would never be a big deal, you know, but being in this, like, you know, conservative town it was just so like awkward you know at home it was so comfortable but outside it was just so strange you know especially because it was such a gradual process to like kind of hit that acceptance I mean it was only 12 years ago when we had prop 8 happen you right. know and I was a, an adult when this happened yeah so but when I told my parents about it it was actually when I was actually dating a guy I didn't want to really tell them I'm gay exactly. I kind of wanted to tell them when I was actually seeing someone and someone I really cared about. So I was dating this guy from my show and my parents had just seen it. So yeah, he and I were seeing each other and this was like around Christmas time. And I remember being in the house with my dad and my sister and they were just talking about our plans for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I was thinking about bringing someone over. And they're all, oh, who? And I said, oh, a friend. <laughs> and then um, they said, oh, which friend? And I said, oh, um, he was in the show that you guys just saw. And they're all, oh, what part did he play? And I told them. 
And I remember, cause he had kind of like a big role. So I remember when I told them who he was, my dad was all, oh, what a cool guy. <laughs> and then I remember my sister, <laughs> she says, oh my God, everyone's gonna have a date at Christmas except me. <laughs> and theoretically I could have corrected her and been like, oh no, that's not what it is, but it is what but it is. <laughs> yeah. So that was like your coming out. Pretty much, like yeah. The first time saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, they're just like, oh yeah, like that'd be great. And then, yeah, then they just talked about, you know, our plans for Christmas and that was it. So, and the thing is, you know, it's very possible. I feel like my family probably always knew. So it was probably never a shock that I would start dating a guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say, just for the record, he ended up not coming for Christmas because he decided to end it with me instead. <laughs> I'm so glad I can laugh about that now. Yeah. That's the thing about a broken heart. You will look back. You might look back on this and laugh, yeah. you know, because I can do that now. Um, but as far as telling my mom, it was actually a while later because she wasn't there at the time. Mm -hmm. It's possible that maybe one of them may have slipped it by her, you know, at some point, sure. which, you know, would have been fine. But the way I told my mom, I remember, was when um, I was in this weird phase where I had no money for a while. It got to a point where like I couldn't even buy myself dinner that night. Oh, wow. So I called my mom, told her what was going on, asked for help. I swallowed my pride and just asked. And bless her heart, she, she drove all the way from Riverside all the way to L.A. to come buy me some food. <laughs> And, you know, while I was there, of course, I was already very overwhelmed and feeling kind of vulnerable. And I decided to just say it then. I said, yeah, like, you know, I was in a relationship with that guy who was in my show because he and I were kind of like off and on for a bit after that. And I said, yeah, I'm kind of dealing with that, too. And she just kind of nodded and said, OK. And then that was pretty much it from there. And I said, yeah, I'm just dealing with that. And like then I kind of went back to my money situation and. Yeah. Just left it at that. And that's why I'm just so grateful that my family never pressure me to like come out to them. You know, they just let me come to them when I was ready. And ever since then, you know, none of them have ever like pestered me asking like, well, are you gay? Like, are you seeing someone now? It was just, you know, it was no big deal. It was never a big deal. And I think that is like, you never really came out out. Like you never was like, hey, I'm gay. Yeah, it wasn't like, like it that. Was, it was casually mentioning your dates or the people that you were seeing. Yeah. And I think that is like down the road, that's the ideal of how it should be. Like yes. Straight people don't have to come out. Yeah. And in a fully equal environment, society, like we shouldn't have to come out either. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that coming out isn't special or anything. Yeah. But in your case where you're just like, you know, it's like, hey, I'm bringing my my date. Yes. Oh, it's a guy. Oh, hey, I'm bringing my date. Oh, it's a girl. Like, yeah. And there's no like, hey, I'm, there's no coming out in that. Sense. Yeah, it was really that simple. And I remember even before I started dating guys, really, when I was kind of my transition of girls to guys, um, I think I was home for college at one point when my dad was just saying, you know, how's everything going? And at one point he said, so like, you dating anyone, girlfriend, boyfriend? And I was just like, no girlfriend, no boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just dropping both and yeah, super casual. Wow, well, your family sounds like the <laughs> ideal of what like we want the parent, like American parents to be, and or I guess all parents. But. Right, <laughs> and I'm really grateful that I have that because I didn't really realize it until you know growing up when I had friends who would so many times would come to them for advice. They never came to their own families. Mm -hmm. You know, they would always come to mine. I'm just like, it's and I always found it like a little strange. It's like, why is it that? my friends can go to my parents to talk about this, but I waited so long. And it's right. like, 
I don't know. I think it's just, I, I wish I could give more detail on why. I think it's, when it's your own parents, I guess it's a little different, I yeah. guess. It's always easier when it's like, you don't have that pressure of like, oh, these are like my actual parents. What if they don't like me? Right. Like, what if, you know? Yeah, I never felt like I'd be disowned or in any way, shape or form. That's good. And I'm really glad. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. And I think you, you dropped a lot of knowledge here today. So yeah. I, I appreciate you coming on and, yeah. and doing this. Uh, Sam, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find my Instagram page. It's Samuel underscore Brando, and that's Brando like Marlon Brando. Mm -hmm. um, I also have another Instagram page where I do rice art. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's cool. I actually take rice and put food coloring on it, and I can make a picture with it. And it's just called Rice Art by Sam. Rice Art by Sam. Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't, I didn't know that was a, I mean, I guess yeah. I, <laughs> briefly seen rice art but i never really like it's really great it's very relaxing so if anyone needs something to do to keep you busy try rice art it's yeah. really easy thank you all so much for listening you are all so beautiful and amazing make sure to check us out at www.thealphabetmafia.com you can read our blogs there you can support our brand get a sticker get yourself a sticker that really helps us it raises brand awareness you put it on your water bottle you put it on your laptop it becomes more of a common thing seeing it around town. Of course, if you need serious help, you can visit the trevorproject.org or you can give them a call at 1-866-488-7386. If you are in need of serious help, please reach out to those people immediately. They will be more than happy to help in a, in a tremendous way. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you have a beautiful morning, evening, whatever it is. Good night.